You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. Hello, Colts fans, and welcome to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. It is a glorious victory Monday here in Indianapolis, Indiana. Today, we're going to recap the game, the Colts home opener against the Vikings, discuss takeaways from that game. But first, we're going to start with injuries. My name is Joe Hopkins. Joining me is Mike Chappell um, in his home via Skype. Mike, how are you? Doing fine. How are you? No, can't complain. We got a we got a win, so we're doing a lot better than we were doing last week. We're kind of chatting before the game how crazy it is, you know, whether that scoreboard can make or break our week almost. Um, but something that did break was Malik Hooker's Achilles. He is out for the season with a torn Achilles. Um, and it's really unfortunate for a player who's kind of dealt with injuries in the past. We've speculated that. Injuries are the main reason the Colts did not pick up Hooker's fifth-year option. And because of that, he very well may have played his last game with Indianapolis. Um, You know, we can kind of talk about what that means for the Colts going forward. But, Mike, your thoughts on this injury to a talented but player who's dealt with a lot of ailments. Yeah, again, that that was probably the primary reason the Colts didn't pick up the fifth-year option. And, you know, now from the team's point of view, good for them. But... For Hooker, it's sort of like Marlon Mack the week before with an Achilles. Both of these players in a prove-it situation, both very young players. So now, I mean, let's not bury them at all. Let's, but but it's going to be tough to get that big contract without a prove-it year next year. And and you just hate to see with Malik. Uh, remember his rookie year uh, started promising, and then he had the the, the knee injury. So. Just awful. And then to compound that, we've got Paris Campbell, second-year receiver, who uh, it's just incredible what this guy's dealt with. And he framed MCL, PCL uh, against the Vikings in his left knee. And apparently he's going to be out indefinitely. But with those injuries, it's not season-ending necessarily, but it might well be. So, and this is the guy who, who had hamstring, hernia surgery, broken hand, broken foot last year. So, And he looked so good with what he could do uh, in the small sample size this year. It just showed you, it's funny what people always say, the NFL is a contact sport. sport. And I remember talking to Ryan Kelly, he said, the one thing you know about the NFL, it's 100% injury. You're, you're going to get hurt. You just hope it's not season ending. And and, and these are difficult. And, and also, we talked about Marlon Mack and Campbell and, and Hooker. Jack Doyle's dealing with 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 the head, ankle, and knees on, on the injury report, and we don't know how long he'll be out. So uh, they've got depth in positions. Whether they've got the depth to handle all of this, we'll see. Yeah, it's certainly a lot. And like you said, it is a collision sport, not a contact sport. Collision with uh, Harrison Smith. Um, dropped Campbell to the ground. He had to be carted off. Um, And that just led to more playing time for Michael Pittman Jr. He ended up playing 93% of the snaps. Mike, you know, we can get more into this a little later in the show, but Pittman Jr. looked pretty good. His stat line's not impressive. Four catches on six targets for 37 yards. But he kind of just looked the part in those catches. I mean, the one he saved... Uh, Philip Rivers from an interception and still ended up hauling it in, kind of tipping it to himself. Um, you know, I don't want to just move past the Paris Campbell injury, but like you kind of said, they they're kind of equipped to deal with the injuries to Campbell 
with Pittman Jr., with the injury to Hooker, with Blackman, who Julian Blackman looked great in his first game yesterday, um, ended up playing 63% of the snaps. Um, whether, you know, it, it just kind of shifts, though, from depth to, like, these, these players are necessities now. They're not just depth. They're not just young players they get to bring along. Like, they're thrown in there, um, kind of reminiscent of 2018 when a lot of p- rookies played a lot of time for the Colts. Yeah, the, the problem is, again, these were areas where they've got depth. The running back was extremely de- deep. Well, now you, you take your lead back out and everybody moves up. You know, it's not so severe there because Tate, Jonathan Taylor was going to get a lot of work anyway. But now all of a sudden you, you're demanding more from Jordan Wilkins. He's not your fourth running back. He's, as we saw yesterday, I, I've always thought this too. We may have talked about it last week. I've always thought that when they need the backup running back. It's really been John, uh, Jordan Wilkins. It's not. It's not really been Naheem Hines. He's he's still that gadget that they're trying to work on how to use him. But when they need the backup guy and he's healthy, he's been the guy. So I still think we're going to see that moving forward. But but now again, it's Jonathan Taylor. It, you know he's got to be the guy moving forward to get the 20, 25 carries, and he's used to it. I mean he did that all the time in college. This is a little different. It just is. It's a, it's a different game. But uh, I think he's certainly up to it. At receiver, and again, knock on wood, that's really a deep area. But now all of a sudden with, with Campbell out, who's your slot guy? Do you move T.Y. in there? Uh, Pascal, do you look at him there? Doolin, Ashland Doolin. So it just, whenever you lose a top-tier player, it moves everybody up a rung. And they were on the rung they were on for a reason. So we'll see. And the big, again, the biggest issue is we're, we're, we're two games in, and, and they've already lost probably three players, three front-end players. And this is it's happened across the league. I mean, my goodness, Cortland, Cortland uh, Sutton and Saquon Barkley and, and on and on, Nick Poza. So I don't know if injuries are more prevalent because of the no offseason and shortened preseason or if it's just that there's just as many, but it's high-profile players. We'll let somebody else do the research. But for the Colts, they've got the depth right now to handle this, but to have to handle your depth this early in the season is not really encouraging. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see whether this, you know, the the injuries around the league continue throughout the year or if this is kind of, you know, with the shortened off season, if these are kind of the injuries that were more or less going to happen and players just weren't playing quite yet, you know, we didn't have all the injuries with preseason games and stuff like that. So it'll be interesting to see if this continues. Uh, one guy we haven't even mentioned yet is Rocky scene. He um, was a surprise scratch because of an illness. Hopefully he can recover and be good to go going forward. Um, but that was certainly not what the Colts were hoping for coming into the game. I thought, oh, no, Adam Thielen is going to go nuts. And in that first drive or two, it looked like he he was on his pace for a 100-yard game. Um, the Colts clamped down after that. The guy who did replace Yassine was T.J. Carey. Um, I think he ended up playing around 60%, 70% of the stat, uh, snaps. I don't have it right here in front of me. Um, but hopefully Yassine can recover and um, be ready for next week's game against the Jets. Uh, into the game now, there were 2,500 fans at Lucas Oil Stadium when Minnesota came to town. And the Jets got it started with the field goal right off the bat. Uh, their drive was aided by a Danico Autry roughing the passer penalty on third and 10. 
Mike, it was just the first example in this game of a self-inflicted wound. And I don't mean to pile on the team. They won. I mean, they, obviously, they won the game 28-11. to 11, But there's a lot of things that they could have done better. Um, in the Colts' first possession, they're down 0-3 now. They go down the field. They get down to Minnesota's 11. Rivers pass to Mo Alleycox, intercepted. Uh, Harrison Smith came in again, kind of deflected the pass up in the air. It was tipped up. It was one that Allie Cox probably should have secured, but it wasn't necessarily an easy catch. Um, but another kind of self-inflicted wound for the Colts. What were your thoughts? You know, Colts had to drive. Vikings had to drive. A penalty gets the Vikings points. And then right when the Colts were about to score, they had a turnover. Well, you're thinking, here we go again. And this is this what this season's going to be, you know, where, you know, you're you're doing more to hurt yourself than the other team. The impressive thing is they were able to to rebound and the defense really asserted itself and, and limited the damage. And the, the special teams with you know Rigo's punt being downed inside the five by uh, Rhodes leads to the safety. So if this defense and let's let's keep in mind this was a pretty good Vikings offense. Kirk Cousins it, it quality. Is a quality. You talk about Thielen. You talk about Dalvin Cook. Quality players. 175 total yards. And I, I think I, I made a note that after three quarters, at the end of three quarters, the Vikings had 111 yards, and Kirk Cousins had a zero passer rating. That's really hard to do. You, you get a 39-1 for going 0 for one for sort of signing your name to the SATs. You get a certain <laughs> certain number of points. You get thirty nine one for showing up, uh, but what they did they they, they was it was it three or three sacks, four or five hits. Uh, the safety I, I thought Buckner played a great game, and when you can get pressure on the quarterback and make him hurry up, it makes everything easier on defense. It really does. To your point, that defense very next possession they got a three and out on Minnesota, set the Colts up in good field position, which then. Turned into a Jonathan Taylor touchdown, the first of the rookie's career. Um, Colts up 77 to three at this point. Uh, the team's trade punts after a brutal, brutal T.Y. Hilton drop in the end zone. Wide yards. open. Yeah, 45 yarder. I mean, the only excuse I can make for him was the sun was in his eyes, but it, it still hit him in the hands. I mean, this is two weeks in a row now we've seen T.Y. Hilton with you know, dropping passes he usually catches. Where are T.Y.'s hands? I don't know whether he's pressing or, or what it is, but as much as we, if we've all been critical of Rivers, and in some spots, rightfully so, you know, there, there were two drops in Jacksonville, and who knows if they score, but it would have given them a chance, and then this one. So, so yeah, it's you've got to have your best players step up, and right now T.Y. is simply not playing well. He just is. There's no way of of sugarcoating. He's not playing well. He'd probably be the first to tell us when we talk to him later in the week. But you can't have your Pro Bowl receiver dropping two balls on the game tying drive in the opener and then drop. Just yeah, it, it wasn't an easy catch. It was over the shoulder. But but Pro Bowl players, top end players, make those catches. They just do. Absolutely. Well, they're going to need him to step up now with Paris Campbell out. They need a playmaker in that offense and they need speed in that offense. And with Campbell gone, Hilton's really the only speed guy remaining or at least established guy. I know Doolin can run fast, but he hasn't done a lot as a receiver. Um, back to the game here. 
Um, so the Colts end up punting after T.Y. Hilton can't haul in the pass. They pin the Vikings at their own two-yard line, which leads to a DeForest Buckner safety on third down. Um, Autry kind of supplied the initial pressure, and then Buckner finished it up. Colts up 9-2 to at this point. Um, they get a field goal off the punt from the safety. Um, Vikings have the ball now. They're trying to score before the end of the half in Cousins. Deep pass intended from Ad- Adam Thieland is tipped by Julian Blackman and then intercepted by Kari Willis, who turns it all the way down to the Minnesota 29-yard line. Blackman, one of you know several good, impressive plays he made in his debut. Um, Colts end up getting a field goal off of that interception to put them up 15-3 to at this point in the ball game. And then Cousins starts another interception, just kind of heaving up a Hail Mary before the end of the half. TJ Carey uh, pulled down that one. But, Mike, kind of the the theme here is a lot of settling for field goals when the Colts were already in good field position. I'm glad they did instead of trying to go for it on fourth down. It did not work out so great the week before. But they're going to have to improve their red zone efficiency. Um if they're going to hang with the big boys moving forward, um, go ahead. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, the, the, the two th- one thing that Frank was really critical about after the game, situational football, third downs and red zone. Right now they are 31st in the league on third downs, 30.4%. That, you just can't do it. They're nor- good teams are 48 47%. The Manning years, they were in the low 50s. Red zone, they're 28th, 44%. And I think they're I think they're four out of nine. I think it is. That includes uh, the interception yesterday, and remember the fourth and one uh, at Jacksonville. So that's that. Moving forward, you can't you cannot play that level and win. You can't expect your defense to play lights out like that every week. So it's early, but those are two areas. If if Frank Reich needs teaching moments on offense, he's going to pound those two stats home all week. I would hope so. And thankfully for the Colts on Sunday, the defense did play exceptionally well. After the Colts punt to start the second half, Kenny Moore intercepts Cousins. It was a pass that was kind of behind the receiver and tipped. Um, Cousins' third interception of the day. The turnover set up. You guessed it. Another field goal. Uh, this one from 38 yards out. The Colts up 18-3 to at this point. After another Vikings punt, the Colts go on a 10-play, 65-yard drive, capped off by a Zach Pascal touchdown from the two-yard line. Um, the Colts would then force another three and out, setting up a Blankenship's fourth field goal of the day. Um, Hot Rod looked good. He was four for four. His longest field goal was 44 yards. Um, a lot of them were, you know, the shorter field goals, 30 yards, 28, I think, was the shortest one. So it's not like it was a bunch of challenging kicks. Uh, he was at home, but he, he, the rookie at least did his job in week two. Yeah, and what I wondered, too, is if, if you got back with Frank on a quiet moment today with, with these field goals and not and set, settling for field goals, I'm wondering how much that once the, they've got the game in hand, he, he, he doesn't want to take that risk on third and whatever. Knowing that your kicker is going to, you're hoping that your kicker does his job. So maybe that was simply a case of we're going to take what we can get and we're not going to force the ball if we don't have to and give the Vikings any reason to get back in the game. Yeah, give them momentum on a big fourth down stop or anything like that. And then they go down and score. All of a sudden they're feeling good about themselves. Right. Um, But for the kicker, let's not overshadow. I mean, people were, 
were freaking out over. They brought in Matt Gay, you know, after the first game when uh, the kicker misses a kick. And, and that that was, let's be honest, that, that was more because that's what you do in the COVID NFL. You've got to have that guy on your roster practice squad to where, heaven forbid, Friday comes and your, your, your kicker tests positive or, or whatever. So that's what that really was. But to see your kicker going out there and, sim- you know, simply doing what he's supposed to do, you know, which is make kicks. You know, it's not like he kicked a was it was it uh, who's the guy that kicked uh, was it Butker? Kicked oh, the fifty eight yarders. Yarders. You know that that's that's above and beyond. But knock down, <laughs> knock down thirty eights, knock down forty fours, and your your PATs, and then you say job well done. Absolutely, and I mean they look good too. None of them were even close. They were right down the middle. Um, you know, Hot Rod seemed to settle in after a so so rookie performance in his first game. Um, you know, in garbage time late in the game, Vikings did score a touchdown, two-point conversion, making the score look a little less lopsided. So that last drive, they scored eight of their 11 points, and it was a 75-yard drive. So 75 out of their 175 total yards came in garbage time. Just kind of goes to show how dominant the Colts' defense was. Again, that defense, three interceptions, forced four punts, sacked Cousins three times. Buckner had one and a half sacks. Uh, one of which being the safety. Tyquan Lewis got in on the action with the sack. Justin Houston had half a sack. Um, it, it, just a great day by the Colts all around. And Darius Leonard's numbers aren't super impressive, but man, he was bringing energy out there. He was hitting hard. I remember that one tackle in the backfield. I think it was on Madison where he just kind of whipped him around and threw him to the ground. The Colts defense was pumped, and I think they were not so happy about how efficient the Jaguars and that passing game, what they did to them the week before. Yeah, I think we talked that I think Leonard had a team high nine tackles at Jacksonville, and you really didn't. Re- I didn't remember many of them. And normally with him, you do. Well, yesterday there were three or four plays where you thought, "Yeah, that's him." The the one on the on the on the you mentioned on Madison, I think it was. He just read the play and and, and he found a seam through the line and, and he was in there. And that's what you want your playmaker to do. It was really a a strong outing for him, uh, but for the entire defense. Uh, again, when the when the defensive front can play like that, when Buckner can crash the middle, when Houston can clean up on Autry, it just makes that secondary not have to cover, you know, that two or three seconds longer. And again, it's, it's only week two, and as much as people were trashing this defense, rightly so in some aspects after week one, right now they're first in the league. 208 yards a game and 4.4 yards per play. And they're also tight, or they're first also in sacks per pass play. So, you know, it, it's a small sample size, and I, I would just really think that barring some really bizarro game, these numbers are just going to stay there with the Jets in town. So, the, 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 and, and this is this is what good teams do. Okay, you have a bad game, you rebound, but then you build on on the Vikings game against what what's perceived to be an inferior opponent with the Jets. And that's when you know that you're, you're more than just flashes, you know, the up and down numbers. So it's going to be incumbent upon the Colts to, to build on what they did Sunday, next Sunday against the Jets, with a few more fans in the stands. Yeah, speaking of building, um, a nice building block set in place was uh, Jonathan Taylor looking like the real deal in his first NFL start. 101 yards and a touchdown on 26 carries, added two for nine through the air. 
didn't really break a big one. His long longest run of the day was 13 yards, but he just consistently pounded that Minnesota defense. Um, he consistently pushed the pile forward. Um, I mean, I don't think I saw a single time where he got hit and went down. He would get hit and kind of drag guys for extra yards. He just looked like he's ready for the NFL. He looks like he can handle it. And you know, those bigger plays are coming. It's funny. One, uh, Philip Rivers talked about Taylor after the game, and he, 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 made it, he, made, he made the point, listen, I'm not criticizing the guy, but the more he plays, he's not going to be hesitant on some cuts. There were a couple of times where Taylor kind of went wide and was sort of a little hesitant before he's cutting up. And, and I think what Rivers is saying is before long, he'll, he'll see that hole and take what's there. And maybe that's when you, you see the big plays, when you, when you don't hesitate. In the NFL, if you hesitate, the pursuit's going to catch up with you. It just does. The hole's there, and then it's not. And I think Frank Reich or Nick Sirianni talked about last week how in the college, there's generally big holes. There just are, and they're there for a long time. In the NFL, that's not the case. They close in a hurry. So but he just, he just warmed down. Was it 26 for 103? I think it was 101. 101 or whatever it was. And I went back and looked. He's just the ninth rookie, Colts rookie to rush for a hundred yards in a game. So, so it's, it's, it's not a long list and it'll be the first of many. So I, I, again, it's, it's, he's gone from being the, the tag team partner with Marlon Mack to really being the guy. They're not going to divide the, the carries now between Taylor and Hines or Taylor and Wilkins, like they were going to do with Taylor and Mack. This is going to be his backfield and he's got to grow up quickly. Yeah, and to that point, it was kind of interesting to see how the backfield shaked up. If you um, started Naheem Hines in fantasy after his great week one, you were pretty disappointed in week two. Had just one catch for four yards on the day, played only 12% of the snaps. It was Jordan Wilkins who spelled Taylor when he needed a break. Wilkins had nine carries for 40 yards, and he's just a guy who he just looks good every time he's in there. He averages four and a half to five yards a carry, doesn't do anything super special, just kind of does his job. I imagine in the future, there will be more weeks where Naheem Hines is more involved. Um, but this just wasn't his week. Apparently, um, the Colts did run the damn ball though. 40 rush attempts as opposed to 25 pass attempts, kind of the opposite of what they did last week with the 46 pass attempts to, I think 22 rush attempts against Jack, uh, Jacksonville Jaguars after the game front Frank Wright called this the blueprint for how the Colts want to play. And this is kind of what we were expecting coming into the season. Yeah. And, and, and again, it'll be week to week with Hines. Again, I mentioned earlier, I, it's last week was sort of a, because of, of Matt getting hurt early and Hines getting more work. I think, I just think moving forward that the bulk of the running, the running game is going to be Taylor and Wilkins. I just believe that uh, maybe there'll be a game where Hines gets his 10 10 rushes, I don't know. That's not been the case in the past. Uh, but but the one touch was a surprise. But it, again, we talked to Frank Reich during training camp, I think it was, and he said there's going to be times where, where Naheem Hines doesn't get much and then he'll have 10 catches. And I think that's, although we did see Hines effective in the punt game, was it uh, 10 yards on four punt returns? And he's gonna, he'll, he'll break one. If they keep kicking to him, he'll break one because he's that good. He's just going to have to be patient. It's going to be days like this where one touch after, I think it was one touch, 
73 yards last week, but uh, he gives you option. But again, I, I think Max's injury to me opens things up more to Wilkins than to Hines in the run game. Yeah, that's a good point you make with, you know, Matt kind of going out, they might not have been sure that the rookie was ready in his first game, kind of thrust in there, so they leaned more on Hines. After a full week of Taylor working with the ones and preparing, uh, they felt more confident to lean on him and Wilkins in week two. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes going forward. Like you said, I think it's going to be kind of week to week with Hines, so good luck guessing when his big games are going to come. And and take him in fantasy at your own risk. (laughs) That's right. Naheem Hines, because if you hit on that that week when he has his 10 catches, great, but the odds are going to say that's not going to happen. Yes, I agree with you there. It it looks like Dave picked the wrong Colts tight end to make the Pro Bowl because Mo Alley-Cox had a career day, five catches on six targets for 111 yards. Um, I mean, he, he just seemed to be wide open and almost felt like the Vikings forgot about him several times. Um, he was running players over. I remember there was that catch near the goal line where he kind of goes up and makes a catch over two players. Mike, he looked really, really good. Frank told us, and sometimes we, I listen to Frank and sometimes I don't, but Frank said, <laughs> we're not going to, we're going to run this basically the same offense and whatever Jack would have gotten Moe will get. And, and keep in mind that those five catches for one eleven came after the interception after that it, it was contested, but again, Mo's going to tell you he's got to make that catch. I uh, said it should have extended his arms better, but that that just kind of shows you that that Philip Rivers has confidence. He 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 told uh, right during the week, you know, call, call the plays. I have all the confidence in the world in Mo, and I was I was just shocked that that's the first time since what was it 2011 did they say. That the Colts had a thousand yard or a hundred yard rusher and receiver in the same game, yeah. I, I I just was shocked with Joe Adai and Pierre Garcon. Uh, so was it eleven or nine or whatever whatever it was? But it's been almost a decade. So uh, for Mo to do that after having seventeen catches in his career was just really a testament to him. And and you know the the next man up theory, which we sometimes raise our eyebrows to and roll our eyes. These guys believe it, Frank. They're not going to put guys out there and put them in positions to fail. They do things because they know these players can do it, and Mo really popped up strong. He did. Pro Football Focus gave Allie Cox a 94.8 game grade, which is their highest single game grade by a tight end since Rob Gronkowski in 2017. Um, just kind of goes to show how well Mo played in that game. And, you know, if the Colts can get healthy at tight end, if they can get Jack back and Burton back, I mean, that tight end group is a strength if Ali Cox can continue to play like this. Um, so that's certainly encouraging for Indianapolis going forward. Um, I guess my final kind of takeaway here, and then I'll leave it open for any additional takeaways you might have, Mike, but this should have been a much bigger blowout than 28 to 11. I mean, again, the Colts moved the ball extremely well. They dominated time of possession um, about 38 minutes to 21. Um, and like you said, I mean, there uh, you put some of these numbers out there on Twitter today. The Colts are 11th in the NFL in yards per game with just under 400. Um, they're second in time of possession uh, at almost 36 minutes per game. But they're 18th in points per game with 24. Uh, they're 31st in third down conversion at 
little over 30%. They're 28th in the red zone, like you mentioned earlier in this podcast. You know, we talked about how they settled for field goals and, you know, maybe Frank Wright went a little more conservative because he felt the game was in hand and a field goal was good enough in this game. But going forward, the Colts are going to have to find a way to, when they move the ball, finish it with touchdowns. Yeah, the the, the stat that jumps at at me after two games is two. That's the number of punts they've had for Sanchez. Uh, that's good and it's bad it, it, because, you, again, the, settling for field goals generally in the NFL in the red zone gets you beat. It allows somebody to hang around and hang around and and, and you're not maximizing opportunity. So after two weeks, those are the two things that have, they've got to Im- improve. Third down efficiency, it, it, may, it, it moves the change. It keeps drives going. And you can't settle as much as we like to see blanket ship kick They've got they've got to finish drives, they've got to finish drives, and, and and they will I would assume, they've got to get Ty off the snide. He looks in a funk, and that's you know we talked I talked about Marlon Mack and Malik Hooker in contract years and the awful injuries. Ty's in a contract year as well, so he needs to get off the snide. And whether that's going to be a big game this week, I don't know against all these former Colt cornerbacks with the Jets. <laughs> But uh, th- those are the main things. I think the defense is going to be fine. I-, I like the defensive front. But the offense has got to clean up his act and, and finish drives. That- that- that's the bottom line. Yeah, T.Y., you know, you hope he kind of gets it together. Maybe it's rust. Maybe he's, like you said, pressing. He looks completely healthy out there. doesn't seem to be any, you know, that kind of issue with his health or an injury. Um, and then with the Colts, you know, there are – Philip Rivers, brand new piece of the offense. You get in the red zone and everything shrinks down and a lot more is based on chemistry because the windows are so much tighter, the holes to fit it in. You know, you're throwing jump balls and back shoulders to players who you put the ball only where your guy can get it. So hopefully that'll improve as he continues to build that with his new team. And hopefully Jonathan Taylor in the run game can just keep pounding it in as well. Um, that's about it for me, Mike. Any additional takeaways for this game before we move on to players of the game? No, because again, it, it just, this this just shows you how the NFL is a week to week venture. Last week, fans and some of the media wanted the, they wanted Ursay to fire everybody, bring in new <laughs> player, and just start over. And then this week, you're thinking, hey, maybe there's something here. Maybe there's something that they can do later on. Of course, again. The Jacksonville game, you, now, you again, you still got to find a, a win later on to compensate, but uh, it, you've just got to be able to maintain some kind of consistency and hopefully moving forward again. Jets, and then what is it, at Chicago and at Cleveland coming up. So it's still there to get something going, but you have to build on Sunday. And, Mike, I'll let you start. Who is your offensive player of the game? Taylor, they ask a rookie to do a lot, and, and he did. No security he ran hard uh there was one play it was a fourth and one i think he was stuffed on third and one and they came back on fourth and one and he just lowered his head and followed the left side of the line for a first down so i thought he really ran hard the next phase of his game like you mentioned will be that long one that 20 or yarder or or longer and i think as long as he gets his carries that will come yeah, Mike, as, as much as I want to go with Mo Cox here, I, I have to agree with you with Taylor. I mean, to lean on the rookie as much as you did, um, I think it was 28 carry or touches, including the receptions. 
So they really just put a lot in the rookie's hand, and he delivered. Um, defensive player of the game, I have a feeling we're both going to pick the same player again, but I'll let you go first. I'll go with uh, the Forrest Buckner, uh, just because, I mean, he, they brought him in here to be that disruptive force, to be the cat, what they call the engine that drives their defense. And looking at his stat line, he had uh, three tackles, sack and a half, four quarterback hits, a tackle for a loss. That's what you want. And, yeah. and, and who knows what his, without really diving into the film study, what did his impact do for everyone else? That's what you want from a player that you gave up the 13th pick and $20 million extension. Hopefully that's something, again, that they build on. Yeah, and, you know, he's making rounds on Twitter today with uh, the highlight of him just blowing up whoever the poor right guard at the time was for the Vikings. I think their starter... Uh, F-line, I believe that's how you say it, missed the game um, last minute, and so it was a backup, and he ate him for lunch. I got to agree, DeForest Buckner is the player of the game. Um, if I had to pick a backup, I might go with Julian Blackman, just because he had several impactful plays, the tip for the interception. Um, he kind of hit, I think it was their tight end, Irv Smith, and jarred the ball loose on a clean hit, which isn't something you see very often anymore. Um, them just jarring the ball loose through a hit. So I thought Blackman played well, but Buckner really, he showed why the Colts gave him that giant contract today. And so hopefully this can continue moving forward. Well, Mike, that's going to about do it for us on the Colts Blue Zone podcast today. Um, listeners can join us on Thursday when Mike is uh, Mike and I are joined by Dave and we preview the Colts week three matchup against the New York Jets. Please help us out by leaving us a rating and review on iTunes. Um, you can follow us on Twitter. Follow the Colts Blue Zone account for all your Colts news and analysis at Colts Blue Zone. You can follow me on Twitter at Roto Street Joe and follow Mike on Twitter at mchapel 51 Right? I remember that correctly. I'm trying to be like Dave and remember them off the top of my head. mchapel 51 yep. M Chapel 51. Well, there we go. Um, well, that's been a fun podcast today. We'll see you next time and have a great day, Colts fans. Mm-hmm.